Hello, my beautiful people. Welcome to Permission to Think. I'm Edwin Rushtrian, and I'm glad you're joining me today. Thank you to all of you who week after week tune in to Permission to Think. My desire is to push our thinking, encourage you, and remind you that there's always hope, regardless how bad things get. I hope this podcast has blessed you and added value to your life. For more information, please visit erustrian.com. This week, we continue with our series on the topic, A Leader's Delusion, Transforming the Delusional Leader Within. In this series, we're talking about the delusional aspects of a leader. Who is a leader? What great leaders do? And what does the Bible say about leadership and why we have such an urgent need for real leadership? Join me as we give ourselves permission to think. Today, we are continuing our topic of leader's delusion, transforming the delusional leader within. An important aspect of transforming the delusional leader within is focusing on five key areas. One, thoughts. Two, motivation. Three, attitude. Four, actions. And five, values. Let me give them to you again. Thoughts, motivation, attitude, actions, and values. Let's start first with thoughts. James Allen, the author of the book, As a Man Thinketh, wrote once, men imagine that thoughts can be kept secret, but it cannot. It rapidly crystallizes into habit, and habit solidifies into circumstances. It's important to consider your thoughts or how you view yourself, how you view and think of others in relation to your leadership. What kind of thoughts do you have of yourself? How do you respond to others when challenged and questioned? How do you think of yourself when someone is holding you accountable for your leadership? A leader can, uh, can be quite delusional for thinking that there is nothing wrong with his decisions, actions, or inaction. It's good to think confident of yourself, to exercise a winning attitude and project an image of assertiveness and success. However, and I must say this, having a lofty view of yourself is never a good idea, nor is diminishing someone's value or contribution because you don't have a healthy thought life. It's important to know that the position you have has been entrusted to your care. Quite often we lose sight of this. We thinking that we have earned it, we deserve it, and therefore um, we can do whatever we please in doing. The way you are respected and revered by others is not for you, but for the position you hold. This thought is very, very important to have. How you were respected and revered by others is not for you, but for the position you hold. Let me explain. When I held a very high position in an organization, I noticed a few things. I noticed the way people treated me, the way they spoke to me. They were all for me they were offered to get me coffee, uh, run my mail, or check on me if I needed anything. Lots of smiles and respect. People would ask me for my opinion and would compliment me even on the clothes that I wore, things that I would say, things that I did. However, what I noticed was that when I left the position and moved on, I noticed that they were doing the same thing to the person who replaced me. And then it dawned on me that it wasn't for me. But it's the respect and the, the, how people revere the person that is in that position. I understood that those people treated me the way that they did because of the position, not because of me. 
Let me give you another example. A friend of mine who worked for a Fortune 500 company invited me to a few of the events the company organized. Because of my friend's position, people would pull the red carpet for my friend. I saw the way people would bend over backwards to make sure my friend's requests and needs were met. My friend eventually told me that the way people reacted was for the position. My friend had the right thoughts with regards to leadership and the relationship to others. The thoughts you have in your position matter greatly. Be careful not to let the thoughts of power and control enter your mind. The reason why is because when the thoughts of power and control enter our mind, we have a tendency as human beings to manipulate people, manipulate the circumstances in order for us to stay in power. This is just human nature. There is a phrase that says absolutely pow absolute power absolutely corrupts. And I believe that this is true. This is why the thoughts that we have of ourselves in the leadership position that we have must be thought of very, very carefully. Make sure that our thoughts are not abusive. Make sure that our thoughts do not come from a selfish way to gain power and prestige at the expense of others. The thoughts that we have in relationship to the people who make the, the ideas, the creative things that we put forth as leaders, make sure that you acknowledge them for the great work that they do. A leader should always have the thought of taking full responsibility when things go bad, as well as to stand and take some credit when things go well. But make sure that in the process that you don't take all the credit for yourself but that you must be able to acknowledge the people who have worked diligently in making the company a success. The correct thoughts about yourself is very important in how you lead yourself, how you lead a company, how you lead an organization. Good thoughts, the right thoughts are very important so that you can continue to be effective. Number two, motivation. What's your why? Why do you do it? What are you after? Do you seek to make your pockets bigger? The reason why I asked the, these questions is because our motivation is what drives us each and every day. Our motivation is the engine that fuels everything that we do. This is why I asked the first question, what is your why for being in leadership? What is the why for you being part of a company? In the book, The Leadership Challenge, Poster and Couch is right. Leadership is not an affair of the head. Leadership is an affair of the heart. The domain of leaders is the future. The work of leaders is change. It is to the long-term development of people and institutions so they can adapt change, prosper, and grow. What motivates you each morning to lead yourself, your team, your family, your company, your institution, your church, your organization? If the following are your motivators for leading, please reconsider. Is your motivation for leading power, money, prestige, accolades, benefit package, and stocks option, perks, company credit card and cars, networking? Or maybe your motivation is fear. Or maybe your motivation is that you don't want to be seen as an imposter, so you have to play the part. Or maybe your motivation is not properly placed. Or maybe it's misplaced on things that you know when once people find out the real reason why you're in power, 
that you're going to be completely removed. If these are your motivators, please reconsider and reevaluate your why. Let's not be delusional. The people we lead can see right through us. When power, money, prestige, accolades, perks, and all these other options that we may have become the sole motivator, we lose credibility and respect. We must keep these things in check. Otherwise, these selfish ambitions will be our demise. My dear friend John Maxwell said it best. If you want to lead but are unwilling to serve people, I think you need to check your motives. Leaders who do not put people first will ultimately disqualify themselves as leaders. When we are in the position of leadership, there is comes great accountability. But that accountability, it is owed to the people who we're leading. We must understand that the main concept is that we are in the business of serving others. And that should be our primary focus. All the other French benefits, all the things that come, will come as a byproduct, but will come as a byproduct of things that you're going to celebrate with everyone who is making these things happen. Our motivation primarily should be to serve the people who are alongside of us, to help them grow, to help them see and give them some hope and give them to, to, to allow them to be part of that vision and the mission of why, the why that we have of doing things. Number three, attitude check your attitude at the door when you begin your day start by being intentional in your first thought i will have a great attitude today my attitude matters and it matters to others i have a great and positive attitude that today matters how i respond to others how i treat others i conduct myself with others how i have an attitude of gratitude i have an attitude that today i'm going to do my very best work my I have an attitude of excellence and achievement. I have an attitude of possibility. I am not focused on tomorrow or the next day. Today, I have an attitude that says I am focused. Today, I have an attitude that says I am thinking great thoughts and ideas. Today, I have an attitude that I genuinely care for the people and find ways to help them grow. Today, I have an attitude of stability and joy. Today, I have an attitude of faith and hope. Today, I have an attitude to serve. Your attitude makes a big difference in your day. This attitude starts with your thoughts and turns into habits. Your attitude is from within. Emerson said, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. Sometimes our greatest contribution to transforming the delusional leader within is an adjustment of our attitude towards our position, our company, our people, and ourselves. Check your attitude before you leave your house. Check the way you are responding. Take it. Uh, take a minute or two to just check your attitude. You gauge it before you go out the house and when before you come out your house as well. I've shared before how many times uh, on my way back home after a tough day. I will usually take the long ride home or I would park in my, I would stay in my car parked and I wouldn't come into the house until I felt that my attitude was ready for my family, until I felt that my family deserved the very best from me. Quite often as business people, as leaders, we come into our houses and we, we, we take it out on our, on our children, we take it out on our pets, we take it out on our wives. And our wives have nothing to do with it. Our family has nothing to do with what's going on at work. 
sometimes we put all these um unknown measures and pressures on ourselves and it is and it goes the same way when you go to work whatever's happening in your private life shouldn't come into impact everyone else in your job you know there, there there's a way to begin to manage them to resolve those very things quite often people bring their personal problems into the business and i think that that's very destructive and unprofessional i think that one should be able to conduct themselves in the best professional manner but without having to be disrespectful to anyone in your organization because of what's going on in your private life or, or vice versa your, your 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 family and being affected what's going on in the company i know that it's easier said than done but i found many times that when I'm intentional about checking my attitude at the door, I realize that my relationships grow, the people around me are happier, and I realize that I live more life of peace, and I have more communion with my family and with those that I love the most. Let me go to actions. This is number four. Actions speak louder than words. We all heard this phrase, right? You may have heard this phrase before many, many times. But how often do we find this to be true? The delusional leader thinks that his actions don't matter. That people should do whatever they are told and not care what the leader does. Remember, leaders lead by example. Author Jack Kinder wrote, you're, you're not made in crisis, you are revealed. Let me say that again. You're not made in a crisis. You are revealed. When difficult moments in leadership come, what will you discover about yourself? Let me ask you that question again. When difficult moments in leadership come, what will you discover about yourself? Your actions will show you. Think about that. Many times when difficult moments come into our lives, it's how we respond that reveals who we really are. Are we humble? Are we kind? Are we arrogant? Are we boastful? How do we respond to a problem? Do we deflect? Do we blame others? Do we have the victim mindset? How do you respond when things get difficult in your leadership? How do people ask the people around you in your company, in your business, or whatever it is that you, you're, you're, you're leading? When you're having these board meetings, when you're having these conferences, ask the people at your table, or maybe privately with the ones that you really have a great relationship and say, hey, listen, uh, just give me some real, real honest feedback here. How, how do you see me when I respond to certain situations? If you have someone who really cares about you about you and your leadership, they will tell you the truth. I've had people many times in my life in projects that I've led who have come to me and said, Edwin, your response in this matter was not the very best. I think you should try a different approach. I think that your attitude, you didn't check it today. I think you should really work on that. And you have to have these candid conversations and give people permission to have them with you. Otherwise, you're not going to grow. Otherwise, you're going to be ineffective. When Moses first received the Ten Commandments from God, and as he came down the moment and I saw the Israelites worshiping idols, he became so enraged that he threw the tablets on the ground. We all have moments of weakness, bad temper, and bad judgment. We lose it. It's called being human. However, here's the thing. Our actions surely after matter most. It's what you do immediately following such behavior 
that will make all the difference. Because see here, people understand that to err is human. But it's how we respond either in humility or in arrogance shortly after our blunder. Effective leaders initiate great relationship with others, initiate conversations for genuine growth, and help others grow. This is reciprocated because many times when we do something that is completely out of character and it's a bad judgment and it displays something that is not part of us, how we go and we ask for forgiveness or how we go and apologize or how many times we, we sit down and, and, and we acknowledge our flaws, you're building great relationships, but you're also mentoring people who are watching your very actions. People who are following you will do exactly what you do. They will follow your lead. And quite often we don't understand that. We miss this greatly in any aspect of organization. If you lose it, make sure that your next step, the very next thing you do, doesn't put you six feet under. Because you will lose people. You will lose the credibility that you have with anyone in your organization. Let me go to number five, values. Values are the guardrails of your leadership. Let me say that again. Values are the guardrails of your leadership. A leader without values is like a cruise ship with a big hole in the bottom. There's only one way to go, my friend, and that is down. What are your values that guide and guard you in your leadership? Let me say it again. What are your values that guide and guard you in your leadership? Are your values integrity, courage, collaboration, discipline, self-control, respect, dignity, honesty, hard work, love, caring, serving, growth, truth? When we think of values, these are the very things that we know then when it comes down to making decisions, when it comes down to difficult moments in life, you go back and you check your value system to make sure that the decision you're going to make, it's aligned with the very things that you value most. For example, one of the things that I, I hold dear in my life is, is a value that I hold in my life is growth. So for me, it's integrity, courage, growth, leadership, right? These are some of the values that I hold very dear in my heart. But growth is a very, very big thing. So before I take anything, I, I, I see, well, how is this going to help me in my growth? How is this going to help me develop and become a better person so that I can become a better servant, so I can become a better leader, so I can become a better husband, so I can become a better father? So because this is a value that I hold dear, I have to really think about what I bring into my life. And at the time, if it fits and it meets the vision of where I'm going and the people who I am leading, Am I going to grow out of this experience? And quite often, sometimes I have to be honest, the things that come to me as a surprise that sometimes I have you because I, I think through things a lot. Sometimes I overthink when, when surprises come in or the unexpected comes in. I, I have a, a, a constant 
um, uh, thought that that I have to analyze this a lot, right? And sometimes I can miss the growth opportunity that may come, and I may just dismiss it. So sometimes. Growth comes disguised in many ways as challenges, setbacks, and sometimes in the unknown. And quite often when the unknown is presented before us, it is doubt and fear that takes over us. And we mentioned before, the fear perhaps is, has three components. It's the fight or flight. But the third component is that quite often the one that we usually get trapped in is the one that paralyzes us. This is the paralysis that we don't do anything. We don't move forward. We don't move backwards. We don't make a decision. We are so stuck in that place. And that is a really bad place to be. Trust me. It is a really bad place when you're completely paralyzed and don't know what to do. But again, if for me, my value is growth. And because of that, I am going to constantly be thinking about how am I going to grow through this? Maybe for you, a value may be something that you hold dear as truth. Let me share a story from Navy Captain Michael Abershoff from his book, It's Your Ship. It's a quick, short story, short paragraph, but let me share it with you. The truth is situational. All too often, that's what happens when an accident occurs. Everyone tries to put the best spin on it. But cover-ups always fail. Sooner or later, the truth comes out. We then blame the fewest possible alleged culprits in the most junior ranks, put them on trial, and punish them. Whatever actually caused the accident in the first place is seldom rectified. It would be far better if we developed a culture that allowed people to tell the truth. Certainly, it would be more useful to focus on making sure the accident never happened again, rather than on finding someone to blame. Instead, we have a culture that repeatedly shows the lower ranks how the upper ranks lie or evade the obvious truth to avoid blame and save their careers. If truth is a value that you hold dear, then this is something that we must think about. Most of our politicians and most of our leaders in our institutions, and I even call out people in church, lose this ability to really distinguish between truth and self-imposed lies. And I think that they, they feel so cavalier to find ways to blame lower rank people so that they can continue the abuse of power, control, manipulation, and yet they remain in power. Wow, are we in trouble. But this is nothing new. This is something that's been going on since all humanity. The human heart is evil deep inside. It will always serve its motives. It will always seek its own interest at the expense of others. What values do you hold in your leadership? Values are what preserve our leadership 
than what transformed the delusional leader from within. Without values, where are we going? Are you surprised of all the, the, the news uh, headlines that come up? Are you surprised with everything that you hear? We shouldn't be surprised. Values, what are those? We don't need those. We must really think about the generation that we're raising. We're in a state of delusion. If we think that our world will get better, if we keep accepting the status quo in our organizations. Lori Beth Jones, in her book, Jesus CEO, she wrote, A leader who is not willing to break ranks is not a leader at all, but merely a puppet set up to maintain the status quo. Many leaders in government, media, news, educational institutions, and religious institutions lie, cheat, oppress, obstruct, destroy, kill, offend, and imprison people, all to keep their position of power and wealth. Corruption is cool. Avarice is encouraged and revered at times. Greed is common. Oppression is expected. Fear-mongering is great. It's practiced frequently with intent to control. Is this the world we want? Are these the leaders we have? If there's no one else? Should your public life be a reflection of your private life? I want to encourage you to think differently. Think about our five keys to transforming the delusional leader within. Thoughts. What kind of thoughts do you have about yourself when you're leading others? Do you see yourself better than they? Do you see yourself smarter? Do you, uh, do you think thoughts that you have power and control over people to manipulate them and use them at your disposal? What's your motivation? What's your why? Why do you do it? Because of perks? Because of money? Because of salary? Because uh, of vacation? Because of stock options? What's your why? Is it to serve people? Is it to make people better? Is it to help people grow? Is it to bring people up? What's your attitude? Do you have a bad attitude when you go into work? The way you treat your family? Your children, your co-workers, do you have a bad attitude towards your boss? Do you have a bad attitude towards everyone around you? Or do you have an attitude of kindness? Do you have an attitude of humility? Do you have an attitude of servanthood? Your actions, what kind of actions do you show? When people see you respond to your failures, what do you do? Do you find someone to blame? Or do you actually take responsibility and say, you know what, I'm going to own that. I'm going to take that. Nope, that's on me. Apologize? <laughs> wow. Apologize for something that you did wrong. Imagine that. Imagine if we all did that. Imagine if we all stood up before the people that were leaders and say, hey, listen, uh, I made a mistake. That will be truly revolutionary. And your values, your values guide everything that you do. If you don't have values, you're going to be digging an early grave for yourself. I say this with love and respect. I say, that, I say it with all compassion in my heart because I am tired of seeing leaders who are abusive, leaders who are tyrants, leaders who are so self-imposed their way on others, leaders who use their position to manipulate and destroy. That's not the world that I want to live in or leave for my children. There is a reality that we must speak to. And as a person of faith, 
sometimes I am appalled by the type of leaders who are leading our churches. Weak, selfish, arrogant, prideful men. Now you might be saying, hey, Devin, hey, 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 easy, easy on this. You, you're sounding a little too judgmental and crazy. I am not. I'm just, you have to, by your fruits you will be known. By the things that you say and the way that you speak and the way you carry yourself. By the way that you present yourself, wishing that you have all the material things to find yourself successful. In his book, It Takes What It Takes, Trevor Moad wrote, It's what you do now that makes all the difference. It may also be what you choose to stop doing. You know, the greatest challenge that we have as human beings is that we, when we are confronted with the truth, it's at the very moment that we get to decide on what our next step is going to be. What you do now may make all the difference, but it may also be what you choose to stop doing. Think about you, yourself. What kind of person are you? What kind of people are you leading? What kind of things, what kind of visions have you created for the people that you lead? Do people trust you? Do, you pe do, do the people that you lead, do they know that you care about them? Do they know that you're invested in them? Do they know that you love them? Do the people who you're leading, do they know that you care about them and their family and their challenges? How many times have you actually went to the person who perhaps is not meeting their quota and say, hey, listen, I, I, I wanted to just take you off a cup of coffee. Let's just chat. What's going on? Just wanted to get to know you a little better. How can I help you? No, where are those numbers? Where are those numbers? And yet, we don't know what's going on in that person's life. A leader, a true leader, knows his people, loves his people, cares for his people, and treats his people the way you want to be treated. Because that's how true love and respect comes from. It's when people know, wow, my boss, he's great, he's wonderful, she's amazing. She's tough on us, but she loves us. She cares for us. Make your move. What's it going to be? I'm going to leave you with one last story of a leader whose actions were delusional, but who was humble enough to learn and change. The story of Moses is powerful, inspirational, and aspirational. I truly believe it now. This is just my opinion, okay? I've read so many leadership books, and there's always a common trend within those books. But in my humble opinion, I do believe that the greatest book on leadership is the Bible. But one particular story in one particular book is the book of Exodus. If you have a chance, Please read it from beginning to end. The book of Exodus is the second book in the Bible. It's after the book of Genesis. And it's only 40 chapters. You can read it in five days. Break it up. But there are some rich principles on leadership in that book. 
there's leadership of faith there's leadership of servanthood there's leadership of delegating there's leadership in in obedience there's it's just jam-packed with such nuggets so I, i would say take a moment to read it read it slowly and every time you come across a leadership principle that you see highlight it think about it think about how god leads moses moses leads aaron and they lead an entire nation again it's only 40 chapters god asked moses what's in your hand moses answered a rod god tells him go and free my people Although Moses was very reluctant to go and put up so many excuses because of doubt and fear, probably guilt, he ultimately conceded. However, Moses didn't ask for a financial plan to lead over a million people out of Egypt. He didn't ask for a housing plan to house the entire nation in the wilderness. He didn't ask for an agriculture plan to feed an entire nation. He didn't ask for a sewer system to store feces and urine. He didn't ask for a hospital in case people got sick. He didn't ask for a mall to clothe men, women, and children. He didn't ask for an evacuation plan. He didn't take courses in business management. Yet, for 40 years, he led a stubborn, stiff-necked, bitter, disgruntled, miserable people who all they did was complain. Imagine having just been appointed to a position of great leadership and you inheriting a company full of people who complain, they're bitter, they're self-centered. What do you do? Read the book of Exodus. Imagine you've been entrusted with a company and you need to develop a business financial plan. Read the book of Exodus. Imagine you have just been put in charge of an organization and you don't have a clue how you're going to start and you have to downsize or you have to grow it. Read the book of Exodus. Again, all Moses had was a rod, an obedient heart, and a humble spirit to learn. But here's a great lesson in leadership that I'm going to leave with you in Exodus chapter 18 and I want you to listen to this part okay very carefully the next day Moses took his place to judge the people people were standing before him all day long from morning to night when Moses father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people he said what's going on here why are you doing all this and all by yourself, letting everybody line up before you from morning to night. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me with questions about God. When something comes up, they come to me. I judge between a man and his neighbor and teach them God's laws and instructions. Moses' father-in-law said, this is no way to go about it. You're burned out. And the people right along with you. This is way too much for you. You can't do this alone. Now listen to me. Let me tell you how to do this so that God will be in this with you. Be there for the people before God. But let 
matters of concern be presented to God. Your job is to teach them the rules and instructions to show them how to live and what to do. And then you need to keep a sharp eye out for competent men. Men who fear God. Men of integrity. Men who are incorruptible and appoint them as leaders over groups. Organized by the thousand, by the hundred, by fifty, and by ten. They'll be responsible for everyday work of judging among the people. They'll bring the hard cases to you, but in the routine cases, they'll be the judges. They will share your load and that will make it easier for you. If you handle the work this way, you have the strength to carry out whatever God commands you and the people in their settings will flourish also. Moses listened to the counsel of his father-in-law and did everything he said. Moses picked competent men from all Israel and set them as leaders over the people who were organized by the thousands, by the hundreds, by the fifty, and by ten. They took over the everyday work of judging among the people. They brought the hard cases to Moses, but in the routine cases, they were the judges. Isn't that incredible? Think about this. Moses is passing judgment on an entire nation. Now here comes his father-in-law and gives him this practical advice. What are you doing, Moses? Delegate. Delegate. You don't have to do this on your own. They're, they're, this is a great leadership principle that there are leaders that are trying to do everything themselves and you're going to burn out. Go figure. You're going to find one of the greatest leadership principles ever in the Bible. Huh? Go think about that. Exodus is teaching us, don't burn out in your leadership. Let others help you in that. But here's the key. He also, um, Moses' father-in-law tells him, right, what kind of people he should look for. He shouldn't just look for anyone and appoint anyone. He should pick competent men. Men of integrity. Men who are incorruptible. And appoint them as leaders. And here's, here's what I love about Moses' leadership. It's his humility to acknowledge that he was delusional in trying to pass judgment and teach the people about God's laws and instructions. The transformation of this delusional act came by having an attitude that was open and receptive to listening to practical wisdom and advice from someone who loved them. My dear, beautiful people, wouldn't it be beautiful if this was the same way we chose men and women to lead our churches, our organizations, and our elected officials? Would this be a great standard? Wait a minute. Is this the same president established by the Apostle Paul in his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5? We spoke about this in the last episode. Before anyone desires to have any position, they should number one know what they're talking about. That means that they should know they should know what they do, their skill. But they should be people of integrity, of character, self-control. 
for the benefit of Rahul, for the benefit of the organization and the people. And so that everyone may grow, so that the company may flourish. This is one of the things that Moses' father-in-law told him at the very end. If you handle the work this way, you have the strength to carry out whatever God commands you, and the people in their settings will flourish also. It's your move. What's it going to be? Do this self-reflection. Sit down for a moment and really, really consider where you are in your personal life, in your spiritual life, in your corporate life, in your leadership life. Be encouraged and know that you matter greatly. The words that you say to your people, the way that you lead your people, the way that you lead yourself, the way that you lead your family. If you're having a hard time, ask someone, call someone that's done it or that is doing it to help you in your journey. You don't have to figure this out on your own. But I encourage you that the process for transforming the delusional leader within it starts with our thoughts what kind of thoughts are you having what kind of thoughts are you having about the people who you lead what's your motivation what's your why what's the reason why you do it your attitude check your attitude check your actions too how are you responding in difficult moments and don't forget your values. These are the guardrails of your life that will help you serve the people who you lead better. A quote of the day comes from Werner Erhard, and it says, Responsibility starts with the willingness to deal with a situation from and with the point of view, whether at the moment, realize or not, that you are the source of what you are, what you do what you have remember my beautiful people never compromise integrity for comfort until next time stay strong